there. Thanks for listening to me, Kiri Pritchard-McLean. Ask the most stylish people I know, who are you wearing? This is the last episode of Series 1 of the podcast. I've had such a blast talking to our amazing guests. This week's guest is an absolute tonic of a human with a wardrobe that is so good. If I had a nan, I'd murder her to own it. That's how good it is. It is drag artist and presenter Titi Bang. Titi is obviously incredibly stylish, but I was amazed to learn that she makes so many of the looks she wears herself. Just mad skills. And you can see how much I covet the ability to use a sewing machine in this episode. I just want it so bad, guys. When's it going to happen? This episode was recorded in June 2021. Titi was in her drag room in London and I was in my own much smaller drag room in Wales. There are so many wise, quotable moments in this recording. I really hope you find it as joyous and nourishing as I did. Please enjoy me asking Titi Bang, who are you wearing? I think I was really lucky. I was always encouraged to dress up. Um, my mum was a stripper through the 80s and 90s and so I was constantly around women who used fashion as an armour or a persona or to get into character so to speak and also saw them as quite a transformational thing that you can be Mm. lots of different things you don't have to be glamorous all the time You, you can also be this other person but there was always a dressing up box um i remember i must have been well it was the millennium i remember that so i was nine or ten and we went to the market and they had these like holographic um halter neck crop tops that were like three pounds and i remember being like oh my god mom that is the most beautiful halter neck i've ever seen in my entire life i need it (laughs) and i remember wearing it on new year's eve into the millennium and i think that was the first time i was ever like wow this is this is this is me (laughs) i am this halter neck um also saying that i did have my mom when she when she was a stripper she used to have this pair of shoes that were like um, lilac and deep purple suede, chunky heel. Um, they were like, it was just after the Spice Girls, so it was kind of Spice Girly. And I remember my mum having them and being like, Mum, keep these for me for when I'm a grown up because I want them. Um, and I was just in love with them and I just used to like play with them and put them on. And I think that was like my first, probably my first item that I was like, I am in love with this item. And I actually got them as an adult and they didn't fit me because my mum's got smaller feet than me. So An absolute travesty. <laughs> you know, travesty. when it comes to affordable body for modification, I think being able to make your sh- feet smaller should be an option. Yeah, it should be an option. It's actually really hard having big feet. <laughs> um, you've reminded me about my millennium outfit because um, I had an outfit for it and it was yeah, a... it was a big deal. Um, it was a big deal. We, we drove to Liverpool to watch the fireworks and they didn't go off properly and everyone I knew was having a house party and I was about 10 or 11. I was probably too young to be going but my parents were like, you can't go to that house party because we're going to Liverpool to watch the lights and I remember being absolutely furious. Anyway, so it was like a pair of classic bootleg black school trousers. Yes, please. Um, but the top was from a charity shop and it was a vintage but you, uh, you know those um, sort of, I think they were sort of 1980s, maybe late 70s, um, sequin stretchy boob tubes that were just like a oh, tube. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it was like a Aegean blue, one of those, and also oh. a fur, a, a, a little cropped fur jacket, also vintage, but from a wow. charity shop. 
<laughs> oh my god, freezing my tits off on the banks of the Mersey. I looked absolutely <laughs> incredible, babes. So good. And we used to get Easter outfits, which I don't know. I think it's just a thing in the north. But it would be like, oh, have an outfit for Easter Sunday. And again, from the market, it was like a baby blue, a long waistcoat made of lycra, the cheapest fabric you could ever find, with a baby blue bootleg with like tiny butterfly white print up it. And I remember just thinking it was just so chic and it was probably the, just the most disgusting thing you've ever seen. But I remember wearing that and I must have been about six and I went out to play, like went to doss out on the streets with my friends in this outfit. And I was like, I look rich. <laughs> That's yes. Yeah. I... Well, my friends, interestingly, my um, the mother of my goddaughter, she's from Liverpool, and they uh, they go, we've got to have new outfits and new pyjamas for Easter. So it is a quite a northern yeah. thing, I think, that it's like brand new outfit, brand new PJs for Christmas Day. Like yeah. it's a whole big yeah, ritual yeah, yeah. thing. Built it is. My mum always church. gives me pyjamas on Christmas Eve. That's like where we always get one present on Christmas Eve and it's always pyjamas. And then they're the pyjamas you wear on Christmas Day. <laughs> so cute. I love it. I absolutely love it. I also, it sounds like you had a similar childhood to me in that like loads of the clothes I got were from the market. Um, yeah. Because it was, it, there were a couple of quid and like it would be sort of adjacent to what was going on in terms of fashion and much more affordable, but ultimately very flammable. <laughs> yeah, very flammable, full plastic, everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you have then, it sounds like you did, did you have a strong sense of style as a kid? It feels like you know what you liked quite young. Yeah, I did. I really did. And I think looking back, it it was probably quite... It was controversial because I remember people's like parents commenting what I, on I would wear. Like I remember because my mum had lots of fabulous outfits, school discos in like primary school, I would always wear a fur coat and like <laughs> uh, like an adult's fur coat. <laughs> and I think then people were probably a bit like, what is going on in this house? <laughs> because people didn't really know what my mum did. <laughs> and I would just be like, it was always like a reference to Cats Later because it was that period of time. And I was like, I'm going to be Cats Later. <laughs> That's the icon I want to portray. And then Halloween school disco, I remember dressing as a drop of blood because I had a red sequin dress I wanted to wear. And I was like, okay, we're going to make it work. We're going to bend the theme. I'm a drop of blood. And I must have been about seven. <laughs> oh, my God. I really hope there's pictures of that. I'm like, I give really me a brief. There, there is a picture somewhere. There definitely is. It's just me in a red sequin dress being like, yes, Halloween. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's so lovely. Um, so, so you're taking influence from. I see some. I hear some Spice Girls in there, yeah. and your mum as well. Um, yeah. But who who was dressing you? Was it you? Is there older siblings? Is there cousins around? No, it's just me and my mum. Just me and my mum. So it really was just the two of us. Um, and so it was her. But she really just let me do whatever I wanted. She never gave me rules. She never tried to dictate what I wore. She always let me choose. Like I remember going to Woolworths and getting like this. <laughs> like puffer jacket that was like metallic blue and light up trainers and Ooh. I mean Woolworths sold really good clothes back in the day <laughs> in the 90s there was some stellar fashion coming out of there <laughs> um but she always let me choose what I wore and, and she is like a bit of a snazzy dresser as well but in like a sort of um late 80s quite tacky mixed with like hippie new age it's very interesting it. yeah mm. like her idea of like sexy is very like stripper shoes with ankle socks 
it's quite like it's quite tacky but it kind of works yeah it sounds incredible so yeah she kind of get... just let me do what i want that's so good also metallic blue puffer jacket and light of trainers both things i could still see you wearing now i mean it's very now isn't it that's the thing fashion it always comes back around it comes <laughs> right back around <laughs> Well, in your mum sort of leaving you to it then, were you ever made to wear anything that you were like, I hate, I hate this, I hate wearing this? School uniform. School uniform was like my downfall. Mm. <laughs> it's actually the reason I didn't stay in further education was just because I couldn't bear to have someone tell me what to wear. I really like... So we, we lived in England until I was about 10 and then we moved to Spain um, because my mum likes to run away from my problems. So we moved to Spain and we ended up being there for five years. And when I was in Spain, you didn't have to wear a uniform. And that's where I got like into punk music. And then I became like an emo. And I was wearing like tartan skirts and stripy knee high socks to school. Um, and taking, you know, fashion risks as a teenager. And then when we moved back to England to do my GCSEs, so I was 15, then I had to wear a uniform and it was not good for me. <laughs> yeah, it, um, there's so much I think about uniforms now. I just didn't think about the time, but like it, the, the how badly they're made and how ubiquitous they are really informs the relationship you have with your body at a young age. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's especially so in like difficult. PE. Like PE was the worst Ooh. time for me. The fact that like you were a teenage girl and you have to wear a hockey skirt. In my school, it was like the norm to wear a hockey skirt, and I was the only one who re I refused to do it, and I wore like tracky trousers because the idea of like looking at my adolescent body that is constantly changing, and then having to mm. stand next to my peers and then having the boys also there like judging you and leering at you I was, it was just like so detrimental to my mental health yeah it's so grim did you find ways to make it more you um yeah it was all about the school bag you know it was all about like customizing your school bag making sure everyone knew what was going on I wore eyeliner um I was a rule breaker and so that was really my downfall was because I start I was dyeing my hair from when I was about like 13, 14. And then when I came back to the UK and they had this like no hair dye rule, um, you had to have a natural colour. At first I'd be like, ginger. I was like, ginger is a natural <laughs> colour. <laughs> and then it'd be like black, like it went very black for a bit with like a coloured streak. And then I'd wear like a scarf around it, like a headband around the coloured bit to try and hide it. And then it, I just pushed the rules like to the real, the edge of it, to the point where they were like, you can't do your GCSEs with everybody else because your hair is too distracting. That's just not a thing either. That's not, there's no child who's like, I would have gotten a, a if thing. it wasn't no, for that no, girl's no, no. distracting. And I say that as someone with attention deficit disorder, like it wouldn't have been the hair that would have made me do badly in an exam. That is just a way of othering you. Yeah, it was, it was really bad. It was when I went on like study leave for my GCSEs and I thought, okay, school's over. Now I can live my life. And so I dyed my hair turquoise. And then when we had to go in for exams, we were about to go in for a GCSE English and they, were, they pulled me out and they put me in the room with people with learning difficulties to do my GCSEs. And I was like, I'm sorry, I'm a distraction to the mainstream class, but not a distraction to these people here. God. It was just, yeah. That's so... It definitely like coincided with me coming out in school because that also was kind of... 
you know, I was trying to explore myself and express myself with the way I looked. Mm. And because that was really like how I wanted to express myself. Um, and also coming out at the same time, it is definitely a way for queer people to sort of like, it's like holding up a sign, being like, I'm queer. You know, we're signaling to other queer people that like this is, we're not the same as everybody else. Mm. Like it kind of is a way to distinguish yourself. Um, and because my school didn't support me coming out, I felt like that was also attached to the way that they were telling me to dress. It was like, I remember my head teacher saying to me, one day you will have to conform. You will have to wear a uniform and you will have to do as you're told. <laughs> and so it was really like interconnected, I think, like looking looking back retrospectively, that this sort of like them telling me to wear a uniform and, you know, conform. I felt like that was also an attack on my identity. Mm. In some yeah. ways. That's really deep, isn't it? Fashion. No, but that's that's perfect. That's it's so like I cannot believe your headmaster said that to you because also like where is this conversation happening? Like the thirties. <laughs> like it's absolutely yeah, mad. But it's you know, in rural, I'm like it, it's in the Lake District, which is where my family originates from. And it is so isolated there and there aren't like you do it is the type of place where when I was at secondary school you got shouted at for being a grebo or a goth and and there was so. physical like threats towards your life because of the way you dressed. Mm. And so mm. I can see why, because they don't know any different and they don't have people expressing themselves in that way. So they don't think it's mm. normal. Yeah, it sounds like we went to, because I'm from rural Wales and it was the same of like constantly in a fight of that whole thing of that. Loads of my friends who went to school in cities didn't know about the dyeing your hair thing, but it was only natural colours and yeah. block colours. You couldn't have highlights, all that kind of, yeah. just anything to, you couldn't have any markings on your trainers. You'd have to put permanent marker on there. All this kind of like really uh, authoritarian stuff to, to I guess... I th there's always the argument that like oh it's it's to protect the poor kids but it's like the poor kids will get bullied whatever is going yeah. on what you're actually doing is making kids who are usually from marginalized groups who are trying to sort of you right signal to each other you're just making them feel even more like shit in a world that's already making them feel like shit yeah it's really of course so the sort of like you know the popular girls are going to thrive because they love wearing the school uniform and rolling the skirt up and you know they love that but i don't want to do that and I don't feel comfortable doing that so yeah it does really marginalize you even more there was way more like subculture as well I feel like in the early 2000s you know there it was like the sort of chavy girls and then the goths and the you know the, there was way more like I feel like fashion now is kind of evened out a bit and there's like mm. different influences in mainstream but it it was way more segregated like 15 years ago and I felt like yeah. yeah you probably were drawn to people you had similar interests in but it wasn't always good <laughs> mm. yeah no I totally because we were in the like th through the different ages like they called us goths, but I guess we were skaters and then sort of like emo-y and then more indie when I was in sixth form. But I remember just like every now and then something had happened, like one of those girls who was like the popular girls because they were sort of like the what we would call chavs or townies. They wore tracksuits and then there was like the top shop girls who just wore like... yeah bootleg jeans and strappy tops and like every now and then one of them would turn up with a pair of vans and we were like what the fuck is she doing they're not for her and like just <laughs> being like really out yeah exactly <laughs> being really outraged and when some of it would sneak into the mainstream I'd be like 
oh my god she's wearing a studded belt like she doesn't even know like you know just like because what I was doing is protecting my thing that you've all given me shit for for years so I'm trying to protect this thing that feels so sacred to me and who I am I have to stop myself now like when I see girls wearing like slipknot t-shirts like they fought at Topshop I'm like do you even know who slipknot are and I'm like you're not 15 anymore this is not the way we do things (laughs) but it is that thing you're like oh my god I got so much shit for that and now it's like Yeah. yeah, which is a good thing. That's progress, right? <laughs> but but yeah. we still have trauma. <laughs> yeah, I still hate it. <laughs> okay, what about then? T- tell us about your favourite outfit, either when you were a kid or a teenager or both, that you just you put on and you just never wanted to take off. It made you feel like you. Oh. Do you know, I was always about, like, as I got to my later teens, I was still all about accessories. Like, I got, I went from being, like, punky, and then it went to emo, when emo was, like, really in its prime. And then I became, like, a scene kid. Do you know what they are? And it was, like, an offshoot of emo, where you were emo, but you wore, like, bright colours instead of, like, dark colours. And it was lots of bows mm-hmm. in the hair, lots of beads. Like, I kind of still am a bit of a scene kid, but it was, like, back-combed hair... It was very MySpace orientated. Mm. Um, it was, was it like Japanese queer. influence? Yes, like, slightly like Japanese. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so I used to wear like fifty beaded necklaces all at the same time, and I would like not wash my hair for like two weeks so I could back comb it as big as I could, and it was like my my crown, like my pride and glory. <laughs> um, I got really into shell suits for a bit. They were like a big moment. Um, but my favourite, I mean, I guess I had this sort of like Beetlejuice-inspired, like structured dress that I used to wear because it was like big black and white stripes, like Beetlejuicey, and then I'd wear like bright coloured tights with it and lots of beads. And I thought it was quite 80s, actually, looking back. But I think that was kind of the time where I was like, oh, that was quite fun. Like you, you were having a really good time with fashion then. It wasn't like... At that point, I'd come out of my GCSEs and I was in art school and I was definitely, like, taking a lot of bold risks. Um, Whereas previous to that, the emo thing definitely was a reflection of my mental health, (laughs) looking back. (laughs) So when I do look back at pictures of me being an emo, I don't really think of them in a fond way. Mm. Because I do see, like, the sort of underlying mental health issues that were going on inside of me. But then when I translated to wearing colours, it got better. (laughs) There we go. Cured it. (laughs) Yeah. Just wear bright (laughs) colours. But for me, it's not a coincidence that the the emo kids were also the ones who had a lot going on at home. Often, were often, like, I now know as adults to be openly queer, but certainly weren't when we were growing up so it was like that music that's about expression and angst and pain of course like these you know kids and young people are going to be drawn to that and the aesthetic because it's um it's i guess it's telling the story of what's what what they're living yeah i think most of the boys that i knew that were emos were all gay in the end (laughs) like we were all a bunch of queers because it was unlike it was it was quite an open community in that way you did talk about mental health a lot even if it wasn't Mm. for a good reason you did talk about your feelings whereas it felt like sort of the towny culture they didn't really 
talk about that. But at the time, I don't think any of us realised how queer we were. There wasn't, mm. it wasn't a conscious acknowledgement of queerness. It was very underlying. Yeah, that's interesting that, that you say about the feelings thing, because I do feel like toxic masculinity had less of a grasp on the boys that I knocked around with than it did on yeah. the lads who, who you know, would just lived for sport. It felt like it had much more of a grip on them, you know, oh, yeah, even at such a young age. Um Guys, being emo saves lives. Being emo <laughs> saves lives. <laughs> I look back now and I am kind of glad I was an emo. Like, it was a moment. And, mm. and especially now, like, you see, I see it reflected in, like, mainstream culture all the time now. Like, yeah. even in, like, hip-hop culture, there's, like, aspects of emo. And, like, mm. it's wild to me that it really was, like, a cultural phenomenon at the time but we kind of forgot about it but it's still here yeah well that's because it sounds like we're, we're teenagers at the same time so the big trends that were happening were definitely like emo and um were there any others that you went in for maybe earlier ones how did how how big did you go on the spice girls oh my god i went big on the spice girls like i was traumatized when jerry left i remember like fi- watching the news and, and telling my mum, mum, I'm not going to stop staring at this TV until Jerry Halliwell joins the Spice Girls again. Because <laughs> for some reason I thought, like, I didn't know, my brain couldn't comprehend it. It was, I still love the Spice Girls so much. They, they were girl power to me and they still are. And the ethos lives on. <laughs> Even forever. Also, just love the fact that they're basically, like, they're kind of presented like a drag troupe. Like yeah, they get they they had these characters and they had really over the top dress sense and you know like an element of costume they weren't doing because when you look at later girl groups like All Saints and even Girls Aloud they just look like stuff you could get on the high street whereas like yeah. you couldn't get a Union Jack dress where you could no. literally see your fanny in it on like they were you, doing you couldn't something even get different. like buffalo shoes in those days like no. those were rare oh and now they're like everywhere but the Spice Girls made those a thing and they were wearing custom yeah. everything like I look at photos now I'm like that's custom everything's custom that's amazing yeah. they're like a real pop group that's how it should be <laughs> <laughs> I want manufactured content <laughs> I don't want relatable someone told me that they were um, sort of invented to sell Pepsi they wanted to sell more Pepsi so they invented the Spice Girls but I, I don't know how true I that is I about that yeah either way like I'll, I'll keep my brand loyalty to Pepsi if but I get they the Spice sold Girls everything the Spice Girls like I was I looked I saw a meme the other day and it reminded me about these like fake head mics that were lollipop holders that the Spice Girls did. And I was like, oh my God, I had one of those. Like, they sold Impulse body spray. I had like a Spice Girls like dinner tray table, bedding, (laughs) wallpaper. Like there was everything. You just don't get people that do that now. No, the this impulse I maintain is a lovely smell. It's like tangerine, right? It's like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought it's great. If they brought that back, I'd buy it. Back. it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? They probably sell out because they're still culturally so relevant. Definitely. Um. So, did you have then a rebellious phase? Was it when you had this time where you thought I'm done with school now? And it sounds like it was showing up in your style, right? Yeah. I mean, do you know what? I feel like. The rebellious bit probably was when I was an emo because I, like, started getting piercings. I was really into piercings for a bit and, like, getting them kind of underage because my mum did let me do what I wanted to do. So when I was, like, 15, I was like, I want my lip pierced. She was like, OK. And so I would get it and then I'd go into school and they'd tell me off and 
like I did that I had got had like four lip piercings at one point and like two of my nose and like because that it was like the only thing I had control over like mm. I couldn't really control anything else in my life and I wanted people to know it was like a shield like a like stay away from me mm. um and yeah I got a lot of shit looking back you did get a lot of shit for being an emo so I think that was maybe where I was rebellious because I had rules that I was meant to abide by, like the school rules. Mm. And I like purposefully made sure I wasn't <laughs> playing by those rules. Whereas like when I went to art school and I start, started playing with fashion, it was probably rebellious to the mainstream, but I felt like I was having a good time. So mm. I was happier, I was much happier because I could like be out and I was like, I told everyone, I was like, I am the gayest person you'll ever meet. Like, it was very that. It was very, it was very that for a while. Um, and I, yeah, I cut my hair off at one point. It went from being like the long, sceny, backcombed hair. And I, when I did come out, I was like, I need everyone to know that I'm gay, so I'm going to cut all my hair off. Um, that was a real moment, and it really didn't suit me. It didn't feel authentic to me, but I felt like I had to do it so that people knew. Yeah, sure. Um I don't know where the rebellion is there. I mean, it was, I'm still rebelling. I'm still in the rebellious phase. I love that you're, I could just imagine you being like really blossoming, especially doing art as well. Because I, I remember the the people who went and studied art foundation in the college, they were always the ones I would be like, that's the bar for keeping up with what they're doing fashion wise as well. Because they were just <laughs> surrounded by creative people. And as soon as you are, your idea yeah. of what's extreme or interesting levels yeah, up. Whereas goes, I'm like, yeah. I'm in sixth form with all the, all the boring cuts. <laughs> <laughs> I so mean, like, what also, are they doing my art school was in Carlisle. It's not like a big city. <laughs> it's Carlisle, which is like a glorified town. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was all about bright 80s jumpers and like metallic leggings um yeah I really I did blossom in art school I didn't learn anything <laughs> I was just drunk the whole time <laughs> like that's all I did but I, in terms of fashion yeah that was where I started to really go for it I think Carlisle is really similar to Bangor where I'm from in North Wales where I went to school and stuff and it, were you like me in that when you started to get aware of like fashion and I wanted like vintage stuff and I wanted retro because it was different to everyone else I just went hog wild for the charity shops yeah. which were great up here oh my god it's all about the charity shops in small towns like I made a fortune while I was doing my A-levels as well, buying stuff in charity shops and then selling it on eBay. Same. Like, I made a fortune just, like, because I had an eye for, oh, like, this could be an old lady's outfit, but it also could be really fashion. Yeah. <laughs> and so I remember buying, like, an, a vintage Adidas, like, sports bag, like a leather one, um, in a charity shop for, like, six quid and selling it for, like, £200 to someone in Japan. Amazing. Because you've got all these like, all these like vintage, well, what we call now vintage, but like old stuff from charity shops, from old people's houses mm -hmm. that actually, if you go to like the city, would sell in a vintage shop for like 50 quid. Yeah. And also I get really, when people are like, oh, you should go to blank area because that's where all the, like there's really wealthy people around there. I'm like, yeah, but they're getting rid of like necks and marks and spencers and whistles. If you go to a shithole town, they're only just getting rid of the stuff from like the 80s and yeah. 60s. And that's the stuff I want. It's yeah, exactly. charity shops 
in rubbish towns are the yeah, best are charity the shops best. ever. And things are actually cheap. Like things are 50p. Yeah. Whereas like in cities you don't get that anymore. No. Things are like six pounds and it's like something from Primark. Yeah. And you're like, this probably was six pounds. Exactly. But you can get like a dress for like one pound fifty. Or they have like, I love it when they don't have prices and you can just ask. And so if there's good. caps in the charity shop, even better. Oh my God. Because you know it's a good one. This is, uh, you are speaking to my soul in that I'm like, if we drive past a charity shop and they've got a rail outside with 50p on, I'm like, and there's too much stuff in the window. I'm like, yeah, that one's excellent. That's it. If we walk in and there's a cat, I'm like, we've hit the fucking jackpot here. And if it smells awful, you know it's yeah. going to be good. Oh. <laughs> you know we've it's got to go charity good. shopping together because I think we're very on the same page about yeah, where should. and what is a good charity shop. Let's talk about then your your current style. What we see when we see you now, and you can talk about on stage and, and off stage as well. Where where did this style now that we're seeing appear? Uh, this appeared probably like probably really 2015 is where it all come together. Mm. Um, I I was doing drag. I started like going out to clubs, and when I moved to London when I was 18. I then started like going out. I was looking for nightlife. I was looking for cabaret. I knew it existed. I've been on MySpace. <laughs> I know that drag queens <laughs> are a thing. I know that there is like a queer community somewhere. And so I really just mm -hmm. went out looking for it. And because I was always dressing up, I, I just wanted somewhere to go where I could dress up. And I knew mm -hmm. from like my mum's nightlife experience that you could go to clubs and dress up. Um, so I started just going out and I was wearing like basically things I'd bought in charity shops nothing that interesting but I definitely had a use of colour that I noticed not everyone else was willing to do I guess a lot of people don't feel comfortable wearing a lot of colour and so I realised mm. that that made me different um, and then I when I was like doing drag I had pink hair from the beginning and then when I started buying wigs and hair pieces I had to keep buying, I had to keep my hair pink because all my wigs and hair pieces matched my hair. <laughs> and so the pink hair kind of just became the brand just because I couldn't afford to buy new wigs all the time. Mm. So then I stopped really like playing around my hair and I was like, okay, this is, I think, where I want to be. Um, and I went to, so I went to Japan like five years ago and that was like my dream because I loved Japanese street fashion, like um, that whole culture of Harajuku. And so it was my dream to get to Japan. And I'd just booked like my first big D like corporate DJing gig in drag. And it was, it was for the worst people. No, they're really lovely. Um, it was for Google and they paid me a fee, which I had just never had that much money before. Mm. And it wasn't even like a lot of money, but it was like, four figures and I'd never had a four figure sum in my bank mm. account um, because I'm really working class and I just had been living from, you know, 
hand to mouth constantly. Mm. And I decided that with that money, I was going to go to Japan and because that was my dream. And I was like, if I can do that, then I feel like I've, I've done it. Like mm. I've done everything I wanted to do. My dream was just to go to Japan. Um, so I went by myself. And after I came back from Japan, I decided I was never going to wear black again. I was going to get rid of all color. I found it so inspiring in terms of fashion and the diversity of fashion and the street fashion and the culture there. It's just so amazing mm. that... I don't know, I just absorbed it. <laughs> just like, I just came back and I was like, I know who I am now. Like, I've got it figured out. I, and yeah, and then I guess like that's when Titi Bang really rounded out into this sort of like character, persona, style. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense. No, <laughs> totally. That's, that's when I felt when it really come together, when I felt like I'd completed my circle. <laughs> wow. And yeah, because Japan is is a really inspiring place aesthetically and there's so much going on and yeah because I've had a few friends who've gone over there and also come back with suitcases full of stuff as yeah. well to wear I, mean, I literally just shopped the entire time <laughs> I just shopped <laughs> because the this even the high street there is just so much more diverse than here like you go into a shopping mall because they have shopping malls and every single shop sells a completely different style Whereas I feel like when you go on the British High Street, you go into all the different shops and they sell like the same thing yeah. over and over again. Yeah. And it's all the same colour tone. It's all like what they say is in fashion. Mm -hmm. There's no room for individuality. Whereas there, there just was so much more subculture within fashion and people mm. really expressed it. And especially men, like the men's street fashion in Japan is amazing. Like they're not afraid to carry a pink clutch. Love you it. know, they're not afraid to wear like a full PVC jacket <laughs> and look stunning. And it just like really inspired me, I think because I just got so probably bored with British fashion. And like, even in London, like you do see people that like express themselves with their fashion but there is definitely still boundaries and like rules mm. I guess that people stick to and it's I don't know just like I found it just so inspiring and I yeah I think it really changed my personal style going there maybe it just like solidified in me that it was okay to like because I saw other people being really mm. colorful and like having a similar aesthetic to me that I was like okay you are allowed mm. to do that that's okay. That's so interesting. Do you, think, do you think you'll go back to Japan every few years to sort of top up on your inspiration? <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? I came back and I booked flights immediately to go the next year. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> it was so bad. And then I didn't spend any money on the, on the high street or like on clothes for a year and I saved it all. And then I just went shopping in Japan. <laughs> that is so bougie. <laughs> it yes! was. It really was. But you know what? I'd never, I'd never, like, I still don't. Like, my, my partner tells me off for it all the time. Like, I won't buy anything for myself full price, even if I really like it. And I blame it on, like, working class guilt. Like, it's this, mm. like, I'm not worthy of that thing. And even if it's, like, trainers, like, I won't buy trainers at full price, even if I like them. And my girlfriend, she's like a shoe collector, like she's really into trainers and like keeps them in the box and that whole lifestyle that goes around that. <laughs> and even if I'm like, oh, I really like these, she'd be like, why don't you buy them for yourself? And I'm just like, no, they're, they're 75 pounds. I couldn't possibly do that. It's so weird. But yeah, I think it is. It is like a working class guilt thing. Yeah. I'm trying to get over. So. It's um, <laughs> I, I'm not working class. My family is. I'm not. It's a slightly complicated situation. But I have that with clothes and yeah, buying things full price. 
and it's so weird because I will spend 75 quid on petrol or train tickets to get to a gig, you know, or to do stuff like yeah. that. Uh, but I would never, if you, if I went to Topshop or whatever, something I love for 75 quid, I'd be like, I can't pay that for it. Yeah, it's so no. weird it's how so money weird. means different things. Is it self-worth? I don't know. Or you're like, oh, I'm not, I'm not worth spending that money on. I, do you know what? With me, I think it comes from the fact that my dad's a bit of a wheeler dealer, so he just would it like hates the idea of spending the the full ticket price on anything. Yeah. And also, I get such a kick out of that's why I love charity shops. Like yeah. getting something for cheap is like the ultimate. I love telling buzz. people as well. I've been like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Also, when they go, where'd you get that? And you're like, charity shop, because what you're saying is you can't have it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just for me. <laughs> I do make a lot of clothes myself now and I definitely make more now than I used to um, probably because I've had more time in lockdown but <laughs> I do sew a lot as well and I like alter things or like I just play a lot of the time in my sewing studio I'm like I'm gonna just experiment and just look at my things and make something and maybe it'll be fun and maybe I'll never wear it I do a lot oh, of that amazing sounds great <laughs> Um, oh my god please just set up an Instagram live I can watch you do that so good and I want to ask you talking about your hair do you think of hair and makeup as part of the outfit then in drag yes absolutely Um, in my day to day life I actually wear less and less makeup now and I I think it is because of drag I don't know I think it's not good for my skin (laughs) first of all is my excuse but I feel like because I have drag as a way to express myself, I do feel like I don't have to make such an effort out of drag mm. because I know my potential. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like, I know how good I can look. I don't need to prove it to you in my day-to-day life. <laughs> so I'm definitely, like, getting lazier with my day-to-day clothes. But quite a lot of drag queens do that. Quite a lot of us, like, don't dress up super super loads mm. when you're working a lot you just don't have the energy to put into both things of course. but when I'm in drag like quite often it will start with the makeup because that's the first thing I do unless I've made something special to wear or I've got a special outfit to wear then I'll match the makeup with the outfit but sometimes I just like do my makeup and then I'm like okay what colors have I used today and then I look at my wardrobe and then I'll decide what to wear oh great love it um I wanted to ask about being in in drag, which is obviously drag queens are a marginalised group, and then being being like like <laughs> you are a marginalised group within that, and ha- does that does that ever affect the choices that you make on on stage with the clothes that you wear? Absolutely, like absolutely. <laughs> Do not like get it twisted. I get scrutinised twice as hard as any twink in a leotard, and I'm very aware <laughs> of it, <laughs> and. Actually, as sort of like the more well-known I've got, I put more pressure on myself because Mm. obviously we live in the culture of drag race now. And so you're being compared to this thing, which is Mm. television, which we all know is more effort than just a cabaret show. Um, Yeah. And so I absolutely, like I absolutely now put way more pressure on myself to look a specific way or to take it to a certain level. Wow, it it it's sort of slightly reminiscent to me of being like a female comedian and being like, I know I've got to go out there and show like there's loads of people who think I shouldn't be doing this and I can't do yeah. it and I have to be twice as good to get half the recognition is what it Absolutely. feels like. And that's and just I like, think, like a lot and, of people think that drag is different to every other workplace as a woman and it's not like it is a male dominated industry and cis men predominantly 
are in control of the hierarchy in this situation. So like, yeah, everybody thinks that, especially like gay men are unthreatening and like they're a girl's best friend, but there is still a patriarchy within this system. Mm. Mm. <laughs> well, that's what I, I thought was really interesting because I loved Drag SOS that you did. And I think it was Cheddar Gorgeous who was talking about it was really important that that you were part of the team as well because they they were sort of saying that like oh like cis male gay guys have had plenty taken up plenty enough space when there's when our like our community is much broader than that because I yeah. don't think I'd even properly realised again because through my ignorance of mainly accessing drag through drag race that like there were. That the, there were female drag queens, like it just didn't like kind of occur to me. And then I was like, oh, of course, like of course. And then seeing you operating as well at such—I mean, it's the pressure you put on yourself at such a high level and doing it. It's and it's being so clear that it's drag as well, as opposed yeah. to like, oh, she's just got a nice dress on. It's just a night out. Like. <laughs> yeah, it is. I don't. Yeah, people don't realize like how much work you have to. But it is a lot of work, you know, to do that. But mm. like, I love drag. Like, I fucking love it. Like, it is my entire life is built around me doing drag <laughs> like <laughs> everything else is that is at the core of what I do but I also recognize that now like with the level of like the privilege of the exposure that I've had I do have to keep it at this level because there is an entire community behind me who is not getting this platform that I'm on right now and I need to make sure that I'm being loud enough for them to be heard as well and mm. like it's hard like there's times where I've been like fuck this this is I'm over it like there's so many times and especially around like the season when Drag Race comes out I find it so dysphoric like it makes me like doubt myself so much on a level that like is actually like really unnecessary and I if I didn't live in the culture of Drag Race I wouldn't be doing it but because I do you know I I don't mind having conversations about it all the time, but I do feel like it's my duty also to do that. And, you know, I have to talk about it because if it's not me, then who else is it going to be? Mm. Um, and yeah, it's a double-edged sword. That's so interesting. <laughs> so interesting. With your personal style now, like over the years as it's, as it's evolved and is evolving, are there any sort of trends that you've tried to pull off that you're like, babes, what was happening there? <laughs> um, I never make fashion mistakes. <laughs> Everything is amazing that I wear. <laughs> no, I'm sure I... I'm trying to think. I mean, loads. Normally, like, if I'm doing drag on a Sunday <laughs> and it's been a long weekend <laughs> there might be some choices where you're like oh dear like I look I do think my makeup has definitely got better you know what I stand by everything I wear I've got no regrets <laughs> everything is yes. a learning experience I own it all <laughs> love it um <clears throat> what is your um in terms of because you, you like vintage stuff as well don't you yeah so what is your um oldest amount of clothing that you've had uh that you still love to put on and then oldest in terms of vintage as well and it might be the same answer I have things in my drag wardrobe though that I've literally had for like a decade that I've never worn. Really? And that is probably like one of my biggest sins because I do buy things sometimes where I'm like, one day I'll mm. wear this and I've never ever worn it. So I have one dress that is the oldest thing I own that was like my great auntie who 
lived in Maryport. She she never had any children. And then when she passed away, I was given like three dresses by from her. And they like all had the dry cleaning tags on from like the 1950s. <gasps> they don't fit me at all. <laughs> like they don't fit me at all. But I've got one which is like a sort of, it's kind of like a 1920s style embellished beaded cream with like bead, glass beads all over it, which I've never worn because it doesn't fit me. But I keep it because I feel like I don't have a real like strong connection to my family mm. heritage. But when I saw my great auntie's wardrobe and the fact she hadn't had any children, I was like, I feel like if I was going to be like anyone, it's probably you. Yeah. So I'm going to keep this because this is my history. <laughs> um, but things I have, I do still, I do have this like waistcoat that I used to wear when I was like an emo punk and it's got like patches all over it and studs all over it and it's really disgusting and it smells so bad. I don't even know how many gigs it must have been to, but I actually wear it as like part of a costume for this tank girl act that I do. And like I really love it because no one else knows the history surrounding this and like the <laughs> things it's seen, but I don't think I'll ever get rid of it. Even if I, I mean, I don't even do the act anymore, but I just have it because. I, I, it's like a bit of an it's like an archive I'm convinced I'm going to have an archive one day <laughs> <laughs> I will buy one ticket for that please um, I would love to see the archive um, is there in terms of like vintage fashion then is there an era that you would love to have existed in just for the fashion oh the 60s the 60s and the 70s like get me there get me those prints <laughs> the colour yeah that era, I will be right there. I love it. It is so gorgeous. And I'm really glad that more of the 70s stuff is coming back as well. Um, the colours and the shapes, because I also think they're much more flattering as they well. Are. Like, Like an A-line skirt is great for me. Like, I don't yeah. need it to be fitting. I don't need it to be shorter than the knee. You know, I don't want yeah. it. Like, I buy so... Because I have quite, a, like, big hips and a small waist. I find it so hard to find like clothes on the high street that fit me because the cut mm. is just not right for my body shape at all. Whereas with vintage clothes, they just have like a better understanding of the shape of a woman. Yeah, totally. Or maybe because they're not being made for unrealistic beauty standards. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure which one it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, I totally agree. And like flares are back and they are like so much more flattering if like I've got again I've got smaller waist big bum like it just balance yeah. you know balances everything out and yeah I, and and also do you know how I was thinking about recently that I was like she does not get enough credit for how amazing she was did you ever see The Good Life um, and Margot in The Good Life she was um, there was like Felicity Kendall and Richard Bryars it was like about a couple who like moved to suburbia and start a farm in their back garden and then there's this really posh neighbour who's played by Penelope Keith google her because like all her outfits are like that you know that poochy sort of like flowing prints mm. and like everything's flowing there's loads of chiffon there's like you know, there's just a, always an appendage. Is she like a good character or is she like a mean neighbour? She's a mean neighbour, yeah. Because why is it that in like film and TV, the the evil characters always have the best, best fashion? Best fashion. Best the fashion. Best fashion. Like a villain always looks just perfect, snatched, yeah. on point. Ursula is like one of the most solid looks that we have in cinema. <laughs> <laughs> and like, yeah, I just watched the new Cruella film, but the old one, like the Glenn Close in 101 Dalmatians, 
that fashion, like, that made me want to be an evil bitch. <laughs> like, just so I could look that good. <laughs> so it's always mean characters that have the best outfit. <laughs> it's true, yeah. The vi- like, I wish some kind of, like, design house would do, like, the villain range. And I could just be like, yeah. great. <laughs> Throw some colour in <laughs> so it's each. not all black. <laughs> um, it's a, an item of clothing that you have that you will put on now and you just instantly feel amazing in it. Everything. I, do you know what? I love dressing up. And like, if I'm doing a gig, for example, if I'm doing like a go-go gig and I've got to dance for like five hours, I'll probably have like three or four costume changes. Like every time I put an outfit on, I feel like it gives me new life. And you can take <laughs> on such a different energy and feel such a different way about yourself when you put something on. I have like this like tropically... Um, ostrich feather, green, lime green, yellow, orange, like bustier thing, which <gasps> I just love wearing because it makes me feel like the fantasy. Like this is the camp fantasy with a thigh high patent yellow boot and I feel gorgeous. Um, but then I equally love like being on stage and wearing nothing. Like I, lo- I love being naked all the time. <laughs> I did a gig like the other night and it was like my fourth gig back and literally halfway through the show my tits were out. I was like, I'm sorry, well, Federal Green Working Men's Club, I'm naked now because I just love getting naked in front of people. Um, I have like quite a few like 70s day dresses that are like amazing prints that whenever I put those on, I always feel glam. Oh, mm. and I also have a pair of cowboy boots that my girlfriend got me for my birthday like two years ago and they're Muppets cowboy boots. They've got what? Miss Piggy on. And they're like denim, sequin, there's a little bit of faux fur and they've got pictures of Miss Piggy on and I call them like my gallery boots because I wear them when I go to a gallery because then you can like clop, clop through a gallery. Um, And when I wear those, I feel like I embody Dolly Parton. Like her spirit comes through me. Oh God. Miss Piggy as well is sort of painted as faintly villainous. But, like, she's the best-dressed bitch on that cast. She wears Vivian Westwood all the time. I'm like, how is that puppet being dressed by Vivian Westwood? She's such an icon. She's had so many looks. She's so versatile. She's great. I love her. I love her so much. (laughs) I love that we live in a world where, like, a puppet can be a style icon as well. Like, what a time to be alive. (laughs) Um, I wanted to ask you about what is your relationship like with shopping? Are you, I want to do it in person? uh, Like, do you like it online or do you want to touch the materials? And do you try and, it sounds like you, like me, you're trying to avoid the high street. It doesn't really work for you and... I go to the charity shops like every other day and I'll go to like the same charity shops like every other day because you just don't know what you're going to get. You just don't <laughs> know. Um, I do like to shop in person, to be honest. There mm. have been phases in my life where I've been really into eBay, like in a big way, but it was mainly when I was younger. I feel like eBay was more of a treasure chest like 10 years ago mm. when it was sort of like... I, I think also younger people now are getting on to the idea of like secondhand shopping. Whereas mm. I feel like when I was younger, it wasn't as cool to shop like vintage or secondhand. No. Um, so you could definitely find more treasure than you find now. But I do love to touch something. I like to try it on. I'm a curvaceous lady. I need to try it on. <laughs> yeah. I need to. <laughs> I'm not a bog standard size. Yeah. Like it, it changes. It changes from shop to shop. It changes from In time person. of year for me. Everything. Absolutely. Everything. Everything can change. <laughs> and also, fair play to my body for being able to... Stuff that shouldn't be able to fit, I can quite usually pour myself into. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I always get so scared of getting stuck in things. Like I feel like it's a constant fear I have of getting stuck in yeah, something. Yeah, I mean, concealed zips, I think, are the bane of my existence. <laughs> yeah. They're so They're bad. They're so hard. They're so yeah. hard. And, and why are so many zips on the high street so shit as well? Like... How hard is it to put a good quality zip in something? It'll just be the profit margin, won't it? It'll be the difference between, like, it'll be a few pence on each thing, and they're like, yeah, we'd rather have the few pence, yeah. and they will have to immediately repair this dress and feel bad about themselves. <laughs> they're out to get us. Yeah. So so when it comes to charity shops, thrifting, car boots, love a car boot, secondhand stuff, what's the best thing you've ever got? When I used to sell things on like things that I'd bought I used to be really good at finding like designer stuff um and I I the Adidas bag that I found I made a, a killing on that I also found like a La Perla leotard once which is like a very very expensive expensive underwear brand and I bought it for like two pounds and I sold it for like 75 pounds which is quite a big profit margin wow um but for my personal day-to-day -day wearing of things I've got quite a lot of like fabulous 60s little go-go dresses. Like I've got quite the collection now <laughs> and I love all of them. And when I find a new like go-go dress, that feels like I'm winning. <laughs> it really does. I've also got a floor length um, baby pink fur coat. Ooh. That is amazing. But I didn't find it in the charity shop. My mum found it in the charity, charity shop. shop. Because she also buys, yes, in a charity shop. And it was like £10 and it's like Full J-Lo fantasy music video, baby pink. It's quite fabulous. <laughs> That's probably one of the better things I've found. That was a night where I was like, you're never going to find this again. No. This is like, they don't yeah. make these anymore. Yeah. Yeah, these have been discontinued. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so do you ever think about um, when you're buying stuff or making stuff or, or with what you're using about environmental impact and sustainability things like that is that something that's in your yeah in your head absolutely um when i go fabric shopping i mainly go fabric shopping in Walthamstow central which is like north london there's this one street where they have fabric shops where everything is like one pound a meter or 50 pence a meter and um, they're like dead stock or they're like the end of season like it's kind of like the charity shop but for fabric like you don't know what you're going to find until you're in there it's never the same so like you can't you have to bulk buy something if you see it because you're yeah. never going to see it again um but i definitely do try and i don't throw anything away and i don't know if that's because i'm a hoarder but i like to think it's because i'm environmentally friendly <laughs> um, i just hoard shit but i yeah i don't really buy a lot of brand new fashion it's mainly charity shops um, I do like to pass things on after I don't wear them. I, I am due a drag clear out, actually. And I will kind of give stuff to, like, baby queens, like, people that don't have a lot. I give it all away. Oh, that's so lovely. It's hard, though. I feel like you can do a lot to be sustainable, but so much, like, is going to happen whether you're there or not, mm -hmm. it feels like. Mm. And, like, I really hope that the younger generation would be more into it, but then, they like, you know this whole like misguided fast fashion culture is still such a thing mm. and you're like I thought you guys cared yeah. like, what are you doing come on you have to like keep pushing this thing so it's so yeah, hard the fashion industry has to take a lot of responsibility mm. and also like we've just been programmed since the 60s really since they were like you are consumers that we've been programmed that we like need things and acquisition means a lot to us and gives us all kind of like chemical rewards so even if you unplug your brain 
in my case from like well don't buy fast fashion don't do high streets that you know like but I'm like okay but now I've got the privilege of money I still buy loads of stuff I just spend more on it because I'm like well it's not from Primark and it's like yeah but it's just yeah. from, it's from somewhere else you're still buying loads too much but it's um it's a it's a lot to undo isn't it yeah it is but you can like I do think everybody should like try and learn the basics of sewing because you can make so much from what you already have and like Especially in the beginning, the first lockdown, I really went through it. I was like, I'm going to give my wardrobe an overhaul. And I like got the dyes out and I got the bleach out and I hand painted things. And I just like spent time like upgrading my clothes, basically. The things I already had with the things I had around me to make them more fabulous. And I feel like you can do that. You just have to be a bit imaginative. Mm. That's my, it's been on my Christmas list for like four Christmases is like a sewing course. Cause I've got a sewing machine. I just, I'm terrified of using it. And I don't even know how to like, you know, like, I'm like, oh look, I'm sewing. And then I'm like, oh no, the tension. And it's all sort of like yeah. hanging out underneath. So yeah, my, my dream one day is to be the kind of person who can look around and be like, because I'm so bad for being like, I've got nothing to wear when I've got a wardrobe full of shit. Yeah. Um, and I think having your kind of skills would really help alleviate that. Yeah. So do it. I mean, I, I did not study sewing at all. Like I literally, my mum used to have a sewing machine and I remember watching Gone with the Wind. I must have been about 12. And you know when she makes the dress out of the curtains? It's, like, it's so gay. <laughs> it couldn't get any gayer. <laughs> and I really had this like dream when I was a kid of being a bridesmaid. Like, I really, I thought, like, if I get to be a bridesmaid, that is the best I'm ever going to do. Because I just wanted a big dress. Like, I just wanted a gown. And I didn't know that's what I was craving. I just thought I wanted to be a bridesmaid. And so I remember watching Gone with the Wind and being like, I'm going to make myself a bridesmaid dress. And I must have spent, like, I don't know, probably a, couple, a week, a couple of weeks making a dress out of some old curtains that was not really a bridesmaid dress but was just sort of like a tube with some straps on it <laughs> but <laughs> so I'm I'm completely self-taught like I did one short course like a five-week course in pattern making because I was making like everything literally making shit up just like copying around clothes I already had mm. um like adding bits in and taking bits off but not like making things from scratch really um, and so I did a little course in like pattern making just so I could understand how to make like a basic pattern and just mm. doing that like completely opened up my mind to like the world of possibilities of like what you can do. So you should do it both. Yeah. Just do it. That is exactly the pep talk I needed to go and spunk a load of money on a sewing course. <laughs> <laughs> you can get them really cheap. You can. Okay. okay I believe you. Um, I've got a friend called Twin Maid who is really creative and made some amazing here somewhere dungarees for me. And she's down she's down in South Wales. But I was just going to go. Could you just teach me over Zoom because I would yeah. love to be able to. You can learn just, so much on YouTube. Yeah, I made a couple of tutorials in lockdown. I made one on how to make dungarees that you can go and watch. It's very simple, and all you need is like a pair of jeans that fit you, and you just trace around it, and then you can just make really, really basic dungarees. It's it's much more within your ability than you think it is. Well, you say that, but what if I fall at the first hurdle, which is find a pair of jeans that fit you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They don't have to fit. You can kind of go around it. <laughs> but you, babe, you can learn so much on okay. YouTube. All right. Well, I, I feel empowered by this chat. I appreciate that. <laughs> Good. Do you see your style 
changing as you get older or do you think you'll always be in bright colours do you think you'll always be desperate to get naked like oh my god I can't wait to get more eccentric with age like I think that is one of the best things about like being a person of a certain age is you can like you don't have to impress anyone you can do whatever you want and I love that I love like I love women who are in their 60s who are really loud and eccentric and like still dye their hair bright colours and do pottery like I want to be one of those women (laughs) (laughs) I just I think you can take more risks and I think our generation probably will Mm. I think like the generation before us before us there was this like real expectation on women that when they get to a certain age they have to like disregard their identity mm-hmm. and like cut their hair short and dress a specific way and conform to this idea of what an older person is mm-hmm. but i feel like we have the power to just completely get rid of that yeah i agree that whole like grow old gracefully and like oh yeah you're right you can't have your hair long and all this kind of stuff and you shouldn't wear this after a certain age and shit i think i think i'm hoping our generation is like fuck that i've got too much nice stuff (laughs) i think it is like i do think it's a thing about women stripping themselves of their femininity after a certain age and because they think that okay i'm no longer sexually desirable so i don't need to be feminine. I, I think it's like really subconscious. Like it's a really subconscious, like primitive thing that, or maybe mm. it's just a patriarchal thing that women do from a certain generation. But I do think we will change that. I really hope mm. we change that anyway. Because I mean, things like, you know, all the fabulous people in New York and that whole, there's like a whole culture around it online of like older people who are just snazzy dresses mm. still. And I want to be one of them. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's so exciting. Because also, rather than feeling like, I'm hoping, that as a, as a woman any, rather f- like than hitting the menopause and feeling like my desirability and my femininity has died, be like, oh, I've been alleviated of sexual harassment is my dream. Yeah. And like, now yeah. look at what I can do. <laughs> now I can start walking around in a G-string. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Finally, I'm as invisible as I want and now I can be as visible as I want to be. Absolutely. I think that's the... It's it's going to be a fabulous time. We're all going to blossom. <laughs> Is there an item of clothing you can always see yourself wearing? I think I'll always wear a fabulous headscarf. Like, I think a headscarf can really change an outfit. Like, I think you should have them in every colour so that they go with everything. And then, <laughs> no matter how drab you feel you look, if you put it on, people are always like, "Oh, oh, that's fun. And so I think I'll always channel, like, a ha- it also hides a multitude of hair sins. Like, if you're having a bad hair day... You just put it on and you don't have to worry about anything. It's very, like, it's quite old Hollywood. It's, yeah, I'm, oh, I think I'll wear a headscarf forever. I hope I wear cowboy boots forever as well. I don't even wear cowboy boots that often. But in my mind, I'm somebody that wears cowboy boots. Like, I have, like, two pairs. And I'm like, you're somebody that wears cowboy boots. You are that girl. But I actually don't. But maybe when I'm not wearing heels all the time, when I'm an older person, I'll wear cowboy boots more. Love it. Absolutely love it. The, the two together as well, I hope. Cowboy boots, headscarf, outfit on. Nothing else. You love being naked. Nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> I started I bought in a charity shop is it even close to me here somewhere do you know what I bought that I was like wanted to I bought one of those it was a vintage where the fuck is that gone just in here somewhere turban like it's a bright blue yeah. velvet you know like would have had yeah. a big brooch on Hollywood and I just think god that ha- when I looked at it I was like 
the hair days I can have underneath that yeah. would be amazing. You can hide so much. And it really draws people's attention away from everything else as well. So, like, you can be wearing something really average and people are like, wow, that turban. Did you see that turban? That is what you... You should wear it. I want to see you in it next time I see you. I, the only time I, I sort of built up... the I'm not built up the courage. I just think... Because I've got quite a round face as well. I, I just think, what's the occasion, babe? So the only time I wore Every it is day to, is the occasion. Every day is the occasion. I deserve it. And the only thing I... What, oh, God, I'm so annoyed it was here. Because I, I always look at it when I'm doing this podcast. And the last time I wore it is when I was drunk and I was watching... There's a Welsh version of um, Eurovision called uh, Canny Gymru. And I was hammered. And I was like, do you know what? This, I feel like I, sh- I should be wearing a turban for this. <laughs> That's like the only time I've worn it. <laughs> to watch Welsh you know, Eurovision. I think, I think as women... Like so I feel like I don't know if this is true. Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just judging people. But I feel like a lot of women aspire. This is out there. I'm gonna say it. I think a lot of women aspire to marriage because they want to wear the dress. Because women are not given enough opportunities to to draw attention to themselves mm. and to wear something fabulous because so many women feel suppressed in the way that they dress and don't even know it. They don't even know mm. that they're like editing the way that they present themselves because they have been conditioned to not take up space and not be visible. Mm. And so, so many women, that's why there's such a whole culture around like wedding dress shopping and like wedding dresses. Like I got so into TV shows about wedding dresses in lockdown. Like there's something so comforting about them because they're just so safe. Like they're really happy. Mm. I started watching this one called The Curvy Brides Boutique. Yes, please. And it's, oh my God, it's so good. It's on Discovery and it's like these two women in Essex one of them is like a complete bitch and the other one is like the most nurturing like kind woman and they're like the best duo ever and they have this boutique which is a congregation of mobile homes that they've set up into a wedding dress shop what and they specialize in plus size brides and they basically give everyone exactly the same dress it's amazing <laughs> but the <laughs> But it's always happy and there's always a dress moment. And I feel like in lockdown, I really gravitated towards wedding dress um, TV shows. But I think there is such a culture around it because women don't get that opportunity. Mm. And I think more women just need to buy themselves a big dress. Yeah. Like, you're an adult. I bought myself a prom dress about seven years ago, like this big pink poofy prom dress. And it was £15 on eBay. And I was like, I want that dress and I have nowhere to go. And I just bought it. And when I was just having like a shit day where I felt really depressed or like if I had to do the housework and didn't really want to do the housework, (laughs) I put the dress on and just do it in the dress. And it just made everything so much better. But then every time my friends would come round, they'd always be like, oh my God, can I try it on? Because I think like we just have this huge like this instinct to be drawn towards big poofy dresses yeah and so many of us don't get that opportunity to do it so everyone needs to go out and buy themselves a prom dress or a wedding dress and just get out your system and then decide if you want to get married <laughs> so great or wear well, a turban i was thinking about that the other day when i was like oh, i wish my partner would propose to me and then i had a real thought about it i was like i do love him and i do want to be with him forever <laughs> but also i think i just want a nice ring <laughs> So I think I just want a nice bit of jewellery. I, I like, can buy that myself. You can buy a ring. <laughs> yeah. You can buy a ring. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I think we like need to give ourselves permission to like wear extravagant outfits all the time because it just does you the world of good. Yeah, and I, do you know what? I see a little bit of that release valve at festivals where, you know, you get people who, yeah. who go, you know, they go, they plan their festival outfits. And, it, and I think, because I'm so lucky, I get to wear wild stuff on stage. I think, you know, like when I see people going for it and you can tell that they're, they're, they're tugging at things because it's not normally what they'd wear, but I'm like, oh, God love you. Like, just lean into this weekend yeah. and hopefully 5% of that rolls over into the rest of your life. And, and one day you won't be able to tell the difference between your festival outfit and your normal outfit. Yeah. I think we do forget, like, working in showbiz, that so many people do feel, like, self-conscious about the way they present themselves. Like, especially, I think, like, cis women do. They feel like they can't draw attention to themselves probably because of like the safety element of it you know mm. you can't go around wearing a spangly bikini all the time because you'll probably get harassed whereas yeah. like in that festival it does create this safe space which is is a bit like a nightclub or a comedy club you know this environment mm. where it's allowed to do it but we forget that so many people are going through their lives like never being given that space and I feel like yeah. especially in like rural areas like where I'm from like people live for the weekend and they live for that moment to like dress up They'll buy a new yeah. outfit, dress up and go out because they have an excuse. But the, there's so many more excuses. You don't need an excuse. We should all just be yeah. wearing prom dresses to go to the supermarket. <laughs> Me and my mates growing up in the countryside going to nightclubs that we go we go out once a week to Monday night. It was a, 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 a nightclub called Time. And we were like we just go big and we would wear these you know big vintage dresses that we found and like mad stuff because it was like that was your one night to peacock and to let go and get hammered yeah. and dress like everyone that you saw in the magazines or the bands that you liked or you know like you know being obsessed with debbie harry seeing what she wore and then trying to do you know piece together something from charity shops that was the same but like you're right it, it could just be every day could just be yeah, it could day. be every day. It can be every day. <laughs> you are living proof. <laughs> I'm living it. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you: Are there any um, any little trends that occurred that you hope don't come back? <laughs> that you hope doesn't come round in a circle again? Oh my god! Do you know what I? Do you know what I hate at the moment? At the moment, I hate this beige culture. This like Kardashian, Kanye West beige that everyone's wearing because it mm. looks so awful. Like I tried to wear this beige jumpsuit and I actually looked like an uncooked sausage. I was like, <laughs> no one, like especially white people, like it looks good on Kim Kardashian because she's mm. gorgeous, like yeah. because she's gorgeous and she's got the right skin tone. When I mm. see people, like when I try and wear that color, it just does, it looks not good. And I yeah. think we've all been brainwashed to think it looks good, it doesn't look good. We just need to, <laughs> Remember, it doesn't look good. Um, I, think people, I hate it. I think people think it looks chic, and I think yeah, it, it actually very easily looks cheap. And it, you're right, the skin a skin tone that I have as well that's quite pinky underneath, and yeah, no. No, I haven't got a tan. I would just look like, oh god, have you had a stomach bug? That's what I would look like <laughs> yeah, in that color. Yeah, like I've had the shits for three days. <laughs> it's so that. It's so that. It's like, do fashion houses hate the average woman? Like, I think they actually hate us. Yeah, <laughs> like, I think they do. I, was, I walked up this lady the other day and she was wearing, like, this Adidas tracksuit that was that, like, fleshy colour. And I was like, why did Adidas make that? Like, why did they make that? Because now yeah. they think that they look good in that. But it doesn't... 
it's not bringing anything out in you. It doesn't make mm. you look happy or healthy. It just is a... It, I think they hate us. I really do think they hate us. Do you know what? I'm, I'm, I don't disagree with you there too much. And that's one of the reasons why I... Particularly her older stuff, but like... Vivian Westwood in that when she dressed women especially for the red carpet I'm like well there's someone who doesn't hate a woman's body like <laughs> she, she, do you know what I mean and which sometimes yeah. you see it and you're like oh why do you hate that woman like, yeah it's so- especially like oh my god who's the worst one is urban outfitters do not make things for anyone over a size eight <laughs> Like, I have to. The only thing I've ever got from Urban Outfitters is a fucking bath mat. <laughs> yeah, cactus ones. <laughs> I'm like, they hate people over a size eight. Like, they don't like us. They don't want us there. Bershka as well. Don't sell anything over a size twelve. I'm like, you hate the average woman. Do you want my money? Do you even want it? Mad. <laughs> it's just like offensive. I'm like, they are. They're not even like being shy about like. Yeah giving us all issues anymore they're just being very brazen about it yeah when they go up to a 16 and then they're like bear in mind our sizes do run up about a size smaller and you're like well just do a 14 then just say that (laughs) yeah because if you're on a six if you're a 16 anyway which i am fluctuate between a 14 and a 16 like you are like the the, um, the work you've done to not hate your body being a 16 is quite extensive. And then if you put on a 16 that doesn't fit, you are back to square one again. Like, And I'm sure we had a conversation about this, like, culturally, like, a few years ago, the whole, like, plus-size clothing, be inclusive was such a moment. And then now I'm going back on the high street. I'm like, where's it gone? Like, where are the size 16 and 18s on the high street now? It's Maybe so they've all weird. just sold out. Maybe. Maybe. Just, like, yeah, that's it. Bought. I'm sure that's it. I really had this moment, it was probably like a year ago, where I wanted some like, oh, it sounds horrible now saying it as well, some neon snakeskin jeans. Love. Don't know. I just really wanted some. I just had it in my mind. I was like, I want some neon snakeskin jeans. And the only place that sold them was Bershka, and they just didn't do anything over a size 12. I literally wrote to them. I was like, just so you know, you've taken away my dream by not having the size I need. It's just terrible. Did they write back? No, they didn't, unsurprisingly. I've, I've got some... You've reminded me about two things I've got behind me that you would like. That, um, I've got these really good neon snakeskin tracksuit bottoms. Oh, my They're God, like, I love those. Yeah, but they are like... I, can, I can't move loads in them. And yeah. uh, what else? There's a, oh, there's, this is, these are great. They're from this really good um, uh, black-owned business of siblings called Elsie and Fred. And... Um, they are like they're neon snakeskin oh, stretchy. I've, yeah, I've seen this brand. That's so good. Yeah. Do they fit you? Yeah, yeah, they're great. If anything, nice. they're a bit big. Um, so yeah, oh. and they, oh. yeah, I just wanted to get that in the podcast, <laughs> babe, just so it's on the recording. <laughs> I must say as well, from being an emo, like when I was an emo, I was like, I will never wear tracksuit bottoms. I will never wear a tracksuit. Oh my God, in lockdown, I got my first tracksuit. I've bought about five. I was like, I can't believe I've spent my whole life not being this comfortable. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? The prejudice I've carried around. (laughs) Exactly. I've designed, (laughs) literally, I bought a full um, tiger skin tracksuit. I look like Carol Baskin. My girlfriend was like, why are you dressed like Carol Baskin? I was like, I feel so free in this outfit. You can't tell me (laughs) that I don't look great. (laughs) Who knew? I know. Who knew sportswear was so comfortable? We should have looked at all the men wearing it and being like, well, of course they wouldn't compromise their comfort. Like, of, of course that it's... Of course. And pockets. Yeah, we're idiots. They've always got pockets. Pockets. <laughs> like, what more do you want? 
I've got one final question for you. It's been so nice chatting to you. Um, I'm so interested to hear your uh, answer to this. Now, it's, it's slightly um, slightly sad question, but um, sh- should you die? I won't say when you die, but should you choose to die? Um, <laughs> what will you? Um, what would you wear to be buried in? Does it have to be something I own? No. <laughs> no. No. Okay. First of all, I don't know if I want to be buried because I don't know how eco-friendly that is. <laughs> okay. Well, like, but, this is just this is just the coffin bit where people are likely to okay. see you. You can be disposed of, you can be turned into a tree or a diamond disposed. or whatever. <laughs> okay, a diamond. Um, do you know what? I've got this fabric that I've been saving. Um, it's right there. I'm looking at it right now. It's turquoise crocodile patent leather. Oh my can God, I it's see amazing. it? I, I bought it in New York. Yeah. I got it from, do you, ever, do you ever watch Project Runway? Yes. Oh my God, I went to Mood, the fabric shop. The fabric oh shop they go to. It looks like this. Oh it's my so God, nice. that is gorgeous. It's gorgeous, isn't it gorgeous? Um, I've been saving this. Um, I would love like, would I want to be in a, a tracksuit? No. Uh, would I want to be in a jumpsuit? I think I'd probably be in a dress, you know, why not? Like a structured. <laughs> I'm going to go with the structured, a cone bra dress, probably, similar to what I already have. But I love a cone bra. I think cone bras are the height of femininity. Like, if you don't have pointy tits, what's the point in having tits? <laughs> um, so I'd probably, probably go for something in this. So I'll probably say this until I die. And then can you just tell whoever it is that's burying me? Put me in yeah. this, OK? No worries. Oh, my God, I'd love to be in drag when I'm buried. That would be so good. That would be quite That's bad, wouldn't gorgeous. it? That would be Who's going to do my makeup, though? Because I do my own makeup. And uh, so I'll have to do my drag face. As you're... Say you get... I mean, I hope this doesn't happen, but say you get some kind of long-term illness, you're going to have to start auditioning people to do the face. You know, like um, like RuPaul got someone from the show to do their face. I think yeah, you're yeah. going to have to start training someone up. That's that's, yeah, that's a works. good idea. I should probably start now. <laughs> um, thank you so much uh, for chatting. You've been absolutely amazing, mate. Thank really you. Thank you for having me. Can you believe it took a whole series of this podcast for someone to finally acknowledge Miss Piggy for the style icon that she is? <laughs> oh, how wise is CT? Just such a breath of fresh air and a massive warm open heart as well. We hadn't met before this recording and I immediately felt like I was chatting to a mate that I'd just known since I was a teenager. And to be honest, if she dressed in head-to-toe sequins and passed it off as a drop of blood as a kid, we absolutely would have been mates. Now, I always like to bang on about a small business because you know by now that I love them. I mentioned them in the podcast, so let me crow about Elsie and Fred. They make the most amazing, like, vibrant coordinates that are just so cool and like I've got a really cool pair of sequin shorts from them with fringing on them just great stuff and they've got a really cool sort of 70s inspired range coming out now I don't know what it is I love so much about a sibling run business but I honestly think it's so cool <laughs> so the siblings are from Coventry originally but are now based in London yes there's three of them Natalie, Leanne and Ryan but I am still blown away by how much they do themselves. They design all the pieces, they go out to the factories, make sure the working conditions are great there. 
They do the PR, the photography. They're such a talented, hardworking bunch. And they're making strides towards making their business greener too. They're really upfront about that on the website. They're like, hey, we're not perfect. There's definitely room for improvement, but we're working hard to get there. So for instance, like there's now no single use plastic in their packaging. And their range is vegan throughout and they recycle collections throughout the year. And I really love this statement on their website too. It says, we are pro-black, pro-gay, pro-liberal, pro-human, pro-be what the hell you want to be as long as you're being nice. If you're not vibing the message, we're not the company for you. We will never stay silent on things that... We will never stay silent on things that matter to us and we will continue to support the ones who are marginalised on this earth. What a great, great thing to say and just... I know it feels like when it's coming from a small business and you know that an actual human wrote that as opposed to sort of like a focus group and a marketing team, it just feels so much more genuine. And I think their clothes are really joyous. And that's why I think it goes so well with TT's episode, because I think it was a joyous episode. So we've had some really lovely messages um, through, but there is one I wanted to read out in particular. So... At the end of Chris's episode, we got a lovely email from Lynn who contacted us to praise Sindhu talking so openly about grief as Lynn's mother had recently been given a very sudden terminal cancer diagnosis. Now, they were booked to see Sindhu but weren't sure if they were going to make it. I'm delighted to read the following out from Lynn. If you're anywhere near your period, you're going to cry. Just a heads up. So, Lynn said, thanks to Kiri for the incredibly kind words on the last pod. More tears. Anyway, I just wanted to say we made it to see Sindhu. Possibly the most expensive cab ride ever across London, but so worth it. Here we are, looking thrilled and excited. Thank you again for your wonderful kindness, Lynn. And then there is a beautiful picture of Lynn and her mother together in the audience of Sindhu's show. It is such a gorgeous, gorgeous moment. Thank you so much for sharing it with us, Lynn. I think it's beautiful that you got to see Cindy together. Now, we'll be back in a few months with a brand new series. The guests we have for you, oh my gosh, comedians, offs, actors, pop star royalty, drag queens, all the best people, essentially. Thank you for supporting Series 1. And if you've forgotten to give us a lovely review, consider this your reminder. See you on a Monday in the future. Who Are You Wearing is produced by Joe Southard, the artwork is by Mary Phillips, and the music is by Annie Glass. This has been a Little Wonder production.